to the Politics Home podcast for the first time in 2020. If you're hoping to ease yourself gently into a new decade, you might want to tune out now. The Labour leadership race is already getting pretty heated. It's providing an absolute feast of palace intrigue for political hacks. Keir Starmer is currently looking like the man to beat, but his rivals aren't going to go down without a fight, and there's everything to play for. Could they soon be joined by cult hero Barry Gardner? We have got the fantastic editor of Labourlist, Sienna Rogers, with us to assess the runners and riders and help us make sense of it all. Thanks very much for joining us, Sienna. Thank you for having me on. And um, for something a little bit lighter, we will get stuck into a possible war in the Middle East and ask if Boris Johnson can afford to break with Donald Trump. As well as Sienna, I'm joined as ever by the unstoppable news machine, as it says on his business cards, (laughs) Kevin Schofield, editor of politics home. A very warm welcome to you, Kevin. Hey, Matt. Happy New Year to you both. Thank you very much. Um, Let's get stuck into the Labour leadership race because things are already hotting up. Um, Kevin, some of our listeners may have been living under a rock, but let's just just quickly run through who is running, who's made their pitch for the top job already. So, so far, we've got six candidates. uh, Keir Starmer, Rebecca Long-Bailey, Jess Phillips, Lisa Nandy. How many is that? Four? Who have I forgotten? Who's the other two? Clive Lewis. Of course, Clive Lewis and Emily Thornberry. How could I forget? Um, And potentially Barry Gardner, but I guess we'll get to Barry in a minute. But um, yeah, so those are the the six who we definitely know at the moment anyway are chasing the uh, 22 nominations that they need from MPs and MEPs to get to the next stage of of the contest. And they've got until 2.30, I think it is, on Monday to get the 22. Keir Starmer's already... Uh, on 41, so he's he's safe. Um, I'd imagine Rebecca Long Bailey will join him pretty soon. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. It's still a bit of a phony war, but uh, yeah, as you say, it's definitely heating up. So we've got six, potentially seven candidates, as you mentioned. Are there any surprise omissions? Anybody who we thought might throw their hat into the ring who this week has um, decided not to? Uh, well, Ian Lavery, the Labour Party chairman, was being urged by um, some on the left, on the Corbynite wing of the party. To, uh, to join and he was certainly thinking about it um, certainly strong rumours that he was about to announce but in the end uh, he declared for Becky Long-Bailey so he didn't stand Dan Jarvis was another one who was definitely considering it taking soundings but he announced that he wasn't uh, the one that amused me most was on Saturday when David Lammy came out and said that he wasn't going to stand which was a bit of a surprise I hadn't realised that many people were actually encouraging him to stand but anyway so David Lammy was somebody else who had thought about it and decided not to in the final analysis and we thought that we'd got the final six as I say until last night when Barry Gardner dropped a bit of a bombshell all the way from Abu Dhabi We'll get, we'll get stuck into to, uh, a lot of Barry chat in a moment but um, Sienna um, it's probably helpful for our listeners if you just kind of talk us through because you're somebody who actually knows what you're talking about here unlike me yes. if you talk thank us God, through someone does. the um, stages of the Labour leadership contest because of course first M- first uh, candidates have to hoover up the sport of MPs but it's a little bit more yeah. complex than that isn't it yeah this is the most complicated it's ever been we've actually never had a leadership election from Labour that's run on these rules before because they are completely new um, and introduced under the Jeremy Corbyn era so first of all the first week of the contest pretty much is MP and MEP nominations they need to get 10% of those parliamentary parties and that means 22 including themselves they can nominate themselves and add that to their signatures and then after that from Wednesday there's going to be local party and affiliate nominations so they can choose either route so either you know someone like Clive Lewis uh, Keir Starmer they'll 
get through pretty, they would if Clive Lewis makes the next stage, would get through pretty easily that one because they can get 33 CLPs on board, particularly through their kind of pro-Remain anti-Brexit channels that they built through, you know, passing motions ahead of party conference and that kind of thing. Or people can get through the union route because they have to get two trade unions, um, in which is included in the figure of three affiliate organisations. So the other affiliate organisations would be things like the Fabian Society. And then that has to comprise 5% of affiliated members. So all that sounds quite complicated. <laughs> it's really complicated, yeah. <laughs> The main thing is, though, they need to get two trade unions on board. Yeah. So, so you can't make it onto the ballot without the support of either local parties or, or trade unions as well as the support of MPs, is that? Exactly. So you've got to pass those two stages and then after that you get to the all-member ballot. And that's actually quite long. It's a six-week process. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about what the kind of two current front runners are pitching, certainly in terms of MP nominations. It's Keir Starmer and Rebecca Long-Bailey. Kevin, what, what's their um, kind of pitch to the party at this point? Well, Keir Starmer's pitch was quite interesting. He obviously, I think, uh, realises that he has to guard against being seen as the moderate, possibly even Blairite, centrist candidate. So when he launched his campaign last week, he had a very slick video that he posted on Twitter, which was really playing up his left-wing credentials. And he is actually, you know, he does have... He did genuine left-wing credentials. He was he was at Wapping in the 1980s in the, in the picket line protest there. Uh, when he was a lawyer, he uh, pursued very worthy um, left-wing causes. And all of this was in you know helping minors, that type of thing. And, he, and that, all this was in this video. Because I think he realises that that is where he could be attacked, perhaps, from the left as being... Because you know he's a he's a QC, uh, he was director of public pros- prosecutions. He can come across as being quite establishment. Quite establishment, exactly. So uh, he, um, I thought he pitched it pretty well. Actually, it's basically, his his message is: look, you can trust me with the uh, with Corbynism. I'm not going to rip it up and start again. He said before he doesn't want. To, we shouldn't oversteer away from communism. He thinks that uh, lots of the stuff in the manifesto was good. Maybe it just wasn't wasn't sold properly and that the strategy around the election campaign wasn't great. But, you know, more or less, you can, basically, as I say, you can trust me with keeping the Corbyn flame alive. Uh, Rebecca Long-Bailey, on the other hand, has, is basically saying more of the same. She is absolutely continuity Corbyn. Now, some of her supporters don't like that description, but it's difficult to describe it as anything else. I mean, in the piece that she wrote for Tribune magazine, announcing that she was standing, it was very much playing up her socialist credentials. You see, you know, I didn't, I didn't just support the manifesto policies. I wrote the policies, um, and really just going really hard on the fact that she fully supported Jeremy Corbyn. And if you want more of the same, vote for me. And even right down to the fact that you know our campaign director is John Landsman who uh, founded Momentum and is a big ally of Jeremy Corbyn. And she just announced that our director of communications is a guy, is a guy called Matt Zarb Cousin, friend of the podcast, been on in the past, who was Jeremy Corbyn's spokesman uh, not so long ago. So absolutely, I think it's safe to say that she is the one who wants to be seen as the, the true Corbynite candidate. Sienna, is that continuity Corbyn tag uh, a fair one? And do you think she can do anything in the, in the race to, to shake that off? Rebecca Long-Bailey has denied that she's the continuity Corbyn candidate and Angela Rayner has, has said the same thing and said, you know, she's not continuity anything about her friend uh, and sort of running mate, Long-Bailey. 
Um, I think there are some important differences, actually, between her and Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, particularly when the morning after this Tribune article, which obviously was to energise her base, she went on Radio 4 and she said, in response to the, the question on nuclear deterrent, she said that, you know, if, if you're going to have one, then you m must be prepared to use it. Now, that's completely different to the kind of answer that Jeremy Corbyn gave in 2015. He just said, no, no, I wouldn't use it. It was very straightforward. And th that's kind of the key difference between her and Jeremy Corbyn's approach when he was first running. It seems like actually she's going for a slightly more, dare I say it, the Labour members are, are repelled by this, but socially conservative approach. So she's kind of saying, actually, I think Corbynism could be quite successful with those policies. We just need to be tougher on security and that sort of thing and trusted more on that. And that's how we'd win back the Labour heartlands. So that's quite an interesting difference between the two. And there's also the fact that she has been quite clear on anti-Semitism. She made that clear in the Radio 4 interview as well, that she would implement all the EHRC recommendations and tackle anti-Semitism through the dis disciplinary process in quite a robust way. And to some on the left of the Labour Party, they see both of these things as a weakness. Obviously, that's not totally the, the same group of people. But yeah, they, they feel doubtful about that, and that's why there was a bit of a push to get Ian Lavery maybe on the ballot paper. The difficulty with that, of course, is that it's, it's hard to see how two Corbynite left candidates would have got through this first stage. Um, Kevin touched on it earlier, that late last night there were stories around that Barry Gardner was considering a, a run for the Labour leadership. He's been a loyal member of the, the Shadow Cabinet for the last few years, and then he, he confirmed that he was considering it this morning. Um, do you think there's been a, a sort of failure on, on the left to organise and coalesce around one one particular candidate here? Because if we're seeing names, you know, we saw we saw Lavery being talked up, and then Long Bailey now now Gardner. Does it seem like there's a, a degree of uh, disagreement? There clearly has been a failure on the Corbynite left to prepare for this contest. I mean, it is quite astonishing that they have built their power base in the party on almost every level, apart from kind of local government, maybe the only one where they haven't really. But in terms of the grassroots and the PLP even, they really improve their numbers there. But it just looks like they weren't prepared for this. And obviously, Rebecca Long-Bailey's campaign would say, well, actually, she you know, she had faith that Labour would win that election. And she, no, she wasn't preparing for a leadership contest the whole time, whereas Keir Starmer was. But I'm not sure that helps much in terms of this contest because it's just the fact that Starmer's campaign has been on it since the very beginning. He was putting out stuff that was pitch perfect from before Christmas and, and throughout that period, where she just simply wasn't. And yeah, the fact that the left is fragmented is exposing the fact that actually it's quite frail, this this coalition and Corbyn held together this faction of the party, but actually it's not a single faction at all. Kevin, what did you make of the, the Barry Gardner stuff last night? It was amazing. I mean, it was a great story, a great, a great scoop by Huffington Post and Lewis Goodall at Newsnight. Um, it came out of left field. I mean, no one really saw it coming, I don't think. I mean, everyone thought that now that we're in the, uh, now that the campaign has already kicked off and the MPs are already, you know, uh, going round having coffees, pumping the flesh with all their colleagues to try and get the numbers and the party's already publishing, running updates of how many um, endorsements MPs have got that we thought that we were settled on the six, but that was just too late in the day really for anyone new to come into the, the contest, far less 
Barry Gardner. Um, so yeah, when it broke, it was a real, a real shock because you, you described him as a, as a, as a cult figure. He's seen maybe by some in the party as a bit of a figure of fun, but you know, he does have his supporters. And it was interesting last night that as soon as the story broke that he was considering it, um, the likes of Squawk Box website and one or two others who had been pushing for the Ian Lavery to stand, they then came round and started pushing. Barry Gardner, so they're obviously not convinced by Rebecca Long Bailey, and I think that's what's what's behind it. That the Corbynite wing of the party are not sold on Long Bailey. They probably don't think that she can win. They're not um, convinced by the campaign that she's run this far that, that Sienna mentioned, and uh, they're looking around for somebody else. And they've alighted upon Barry Gardner, and you know he's up for it. And he said this morning that if he can get the numbers, then he'll definitely stand. But you know, time is ticking, as I say. He's only got until Monday afternoon, so it's going to be um, a race against time for him. At the same time, the party's also um, looking for a deputy leader following the departure of Tom Watson. It's looking very much like Angela Rayner's race to lose at the moment, Sienna. Is anyone else in with a, with a chance, or do you think she's probably got it sewn up? I think she has got it sewn up, and I think an interesting result in this leadership contest uh, is that she might have a bigger mandate than whoever becomes leader, which I think might be a bit of an interesting dynamic mm. going forward. But in terms of who presents some kind of challenge, there's obviously there's Richard Bergen, who's considered to be on the left of Rayner, and he you know, could get Unite's backing, for instance, um, if he manages to get on the ballot paper. And it looks more likely now that people like Diane Abbott have backed him um, and she's definitely going for the, the kind of socialist campaign group line rather than what she could have done perhaps I was thinking that the only way that Dawn Butler and Clive Lewis could get on is maybe if there was a push you know from the Black Caucus of the CLP of the PLP to to get some black MPs actually on the ballot paper which would be a, a very good thing at this point because actually it looks like the PLP are really going for the white male stale candidates at the moment but um yeah, so there's there's Richard Bergen, who obviously would be the kind of purest uh, Corbynite candidate, who has you know strong record for a lot of members of anti-imperialist credentials and that sort of thing. And then on the other side, there's Ian Murray, and he's got huge Corbyn sceptic support in the PLP. I think it'll be interesting just to see what kind of percentage he would get. I think he could scoop up a Scottish CLP so that he could get on the ballot paper. And his final result in terms of members will be really interesting to see just how strong that really pure Corbyn sceptic vote is still in the membership. Kevin, there's a bit of a sense that Angela Rayner has shied away from the fight here and you know, mm. she's not gone for the, the top job, the leadership. Um, why do you think she's, she stepped back this time? I was speaking to someone uh, yesterday who was saying that they think that, uh, Angie has, has said to them as well, that she still has a bit of imposter syndrome. She just thinks that, you know, uh, it's not for the likes of her. Uh, which is sad because it's not true and I think she'd be a very good candidate. Our launch last week, our deputy leadership launch was, was very good. I thought she identified a lot of the problems that Labour um, faces in a way that Rebecca Long-Bailey has shied away from. Um, but yeah, I think she just feels that actually the leaders, at the moment anyway, the leadership is not for her and that uh, if she is going to stand, it will need to be for the deputy leadership. But um, I agree with Sienna, I think she's definitely the one to beat. I'd be very surprised if she if she didn't win. Um, but yeah, there's a few people are saying, you know, actually it's the wrong way around. This Becky Angie ticket is the wrong way around. It maybe Long Bailey might have been better going for deputy, and um, Rayner going for leadership because there was there was never any chance really of them going head to head because they're both very good friends, flatmates, that type of thing. So that would have been 
deeply uncomfortable, I think. But uh, but yeah, a lot of people think that the way they've done it is, is, is the wrong way around. Sienna, do you think she's got her eye on the election after this one? Well, that's the kind of cynical view on this situation, is that actually maybe it would be better to wait in the deputy leader position, which is actually a very good one in terms of getting a really high profile, good reputation for being a campaigner, all that sort of thing, while at the same time not suffering the same amount of scrutiny and also uh, attacks in terms of the, the right-wing press. They're just not going to get that in, on the same level as a leader. So it's a good way of positioning herself for next time if Labour can't win the next election. So... Uh, uh, Obviously, we've discussed um, MP nominations um, and uh, crucial next stages, unions and CLP support. Um, How's it looking in terms of union backing at the moment, Sienna? So Unison has come out and backed Keir Starmer very early on in this race. I think it took people by surprise, mm. actually, just how quite a, you know early it was. It's not entered, obviously, that stage of the contest yet. So the Labour Link Committee there decided to back Keir Starmer, as well as, of course, Angela Rayner, who was one of their trade union reps. So that was no surprise. Um, the question is, you know, is he going to get GMB as well? Probably going to get Usdor. I mean, he could really scoop up a lot of these trade union nominations, which would be just enormous for his campaign because it's not just momentum that has great resources and mailing lists and staff and all of that stuff that's so helpful. It's unions as well. I mean, they have huge power organisationally, so that would be just massive for his campaign. Um, and what Unite does, obviously, will be very interesting to watch as well. I and mean, we'll see if there's this seventh candidate. I mean, it is likely that they will go for Rebecca Long-Bailey and Len McCluskey certainly denied very strongly that he was backing Barry Gardner or had approached him. But, yeah, it's looking very good for Keir Starmer at the moment. Kevin, you know I love um, forcing you to make a prediction. Um, <laughs> at this point, who's your money on? Well, I, I, you'd be mad to bet against anyone, uh, to bet against Keir Starmer. Um, you know, Sienna's right again. You know that he's just got the big mo right now. You know that he's got the MPs behind him. Unison endorsement is is big. He's going to do well in, in CLPs and just everything about the campaign. It's a very professional campaign that he's that he's running as well. He's got a good team behind him. I mean, last night as well. And this is very Labour insidery, but you know he's got Simon Fletcher as his campaign manager. And, this and was Kat a, Fletcher and Kat Fletcher as well, involving you know, another person that's you know knows. Labour Party inside out, but Simon Fletcher stuff is significant because he ran Jeremy Corbyn's first leadership campaign, obviously which was incredibly successful. Um, he ran Richard Leonard's Scottish Labour leadership campaign. He ran at least one of Ken Livingston's successful mayoral campaigns. So you know this is a guy who knows how to win. So it's a I big think that's his Twitter bio, isn't it? Is getting Labour leaders elected? <laughs> well, there you go. Then. So you know he is. Uh, He's the person. It to does have. exactly what it says on the tin. You know, so getting him on board as, as, a, as a real coup and can only be a good thing for Keir Starmer. So, uh, yeah, he's at the moment, he's absolutely the one to be. And it was interesting that Starmer actually released the details of his full campaign team. Mm. It was quite an interesting move in yeah. contrast, you know, to RLB, who, who didn't do that. We kind of found, found out from from talking to people mm. who was on her campaign team. But, yeah, Starmer well, was, that was quite was your scoop, wasn't proud. it? Yeah, I'm I think sure. it was, yeah, it was yeah. but I wasn't sure whether it was, so I didn't Not label was. it as Not an exclusive. Well done. Uh, always make that mistake. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Uh, Starmer, you know, he, he said, this is my team, and look, they all come from different parts of the party, which is very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have pointed to the fact that, you know, Keir Starmer was a, a prominent Remainer. Uh, he um, represents a, a, a London seat. Um, do you think he can broaden the party's appeal? You know, it, it's just suffered its, its biggest election disaster in decades. Yeah, I think it was quite smart the way he answered it on Andrew Marr's show last Sunday when it, it was put to him about the fact that he was such a big big remainer and probably the, the main architect behind Labour's 
unsuccessful Brexit policy in the election. And he said, well, look, that's, that's dealt with now. Brexit's done. We're now looking to move on. We're in a post-Brexit world. The Leave and Remain labels are no longer relevant, which is quite... A, you can understand why he would want to say that, but I, I think it's quite a smart way of dealing with it. You know, he will, he will think, well, next election says in 2024, you know, by then... Brexit, you would think, would be a distant memory, um, and whether you how you voted in 2016 would no longer be relevant. He answered that question much better than Jess Phillips did on the same programme uh, when she talked about, you know, she fell into a trap by suggesting that where she become leader, you know, Labour could end up campaigning to rejoin the EU, which was just you know, a gaffe. And a then big, the big next gaffe. day, she had to backtrack on that, yeah. and then it kind of undermines her whole slogan of "Speak Truth, Win Power." Absolutely, absolutely. So let's move on from a brutal and unpredictable conflict with potentially massive ramifications to talk about the current flare-up in the <laughs> Middle East. Um, oh, Kevin, dear. what is going on in full? Oh my goodness! How far back do you want to go? So what? what what's, Just for what, this week. What's kicked this current flare-off? Uh, well, yeah, well, so America assassinated uh, General um, Qasem Soleimani, uh, who was the top Iranian military chief, the commander of the. Quds Force, an iconic figure in Iran, um, and they killed him with a, with a drone strike as he left Baghdad Airport last Friday. Um, I mean, this is something that other US administrations have considered and shied away from, but Trump being Trump just, just went went in there, uh, literally all guns blazing, and um, killed the guy. So obviously that uh, provoked a huge outcry in the Middle East, uh, and there was a retaliatory missile strike on uh, an Iraqi base uh, housing coalition, British and American forces, uh, a couple of days ago. So that is kind of where we're at. There now, it seems to be a bit of an uneasy peace at the moment. Um, the Iranian response was not as severe as it, as it might have been. It was almost like a sort of warning, a warning shot. So we're now in a, in a position where uh, Donald Trump is uh, urging Britain, Germany, France, China and Russia to pull out of the uh, Iran nuclear deal, which was agreed by Barack Obama in 2013, which was supposed to make sure that Iran never got its hands on a nuclear weapon. Trump has long said that is a very bad deal. Um, America's already pulled out of it. Uh, Britain is still supportive of it, and the other uh, nations that I mentioned are also supportive of it, but Trump is putting pressure on them to, to pull out. He says that a better deal can be done and one that can ensure global peace. But, yeah, for the, if you trust Donald Trump with global peace, then um, I think we might be uh, waiting a long time. Bringing this um, firmly back to SW1, this has been really the first international crisis of, of Boris Johnson's mm. time in number 10. W what was his initial response like and, and how's it evolved over the week? His, his, his initial response was, I think, to order, order another drink at the pool bar in Mustique where him and his girlfriend were celebrating New Year. We didn't hear from him, um, at least not publicly, until yesterday. It was five days after it happened, he appeared at Prime Minister's Questions. I think he put out a statement something like 68 hours after it happened. He'd, he'd initially put Foreign Secretary Donald, uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> He's not a Foreign Secretary yet, as far as I'm aware. Um, Dominic Raab uh, out to speak on behalf of the government. And so, yeah, it, it looked like he'd been caught flat-footed and his response to it wasn't... Um, it, it, he didn't seem to have a lot of grip on the situation. I mean, I suppose if you were going to be fair to him, you could say, well, America didn't 
give Britain any warning whatsoever that they were going to do this. So it came completely out of the blue. So the government was left scrambling around to try and come up with a, a response. I mean, it's difficult for the government because they have to obviously try and be as close to America as they possibly can. Um, but yeah, his uh, response left a lot to be desired. Sienna, um, Jeremy Corbyn's also been pretty critical of the US um, uh, action here. Um, how's his response gone down with backbenchers? Because he, he seemed to be very much um, kind of classic Corbyn at the dispatch box. Yeah, definitely. At PMQs, he kind of went on the attack and, and said, look, are we sure that this was an, an illegal act? And what evidence do you have here? And what are you going to do about, you know, including uh, Iranians who want to resolve this situation to the UN meeting and all that sort of thing? So he, he really grilled Boris Johnson over that. And it seemed like the prime minister just wasn't uh, that interested in, in the specifics and giving the specifics of the situation at all. Um, in terms of backbenchers and their reaction, I mean, uh, frankly, they're talking about the Labour leadership contests. But, I mean, of course, there's going to be some scepticism about Corbyn's positioning on this issue. But it's significant that all the Labour leadership contenders are basically, you know, on Corbyn's, on Corbyn's side on this issue. I mean, Keir Starmer actually, you know, has a record of saying, well, during the Iraq war, where's the legal basis for this? And he criticised that. So he was going to take a very kind of legalistic approach to this as well, in quite the same way as Jeremy did um, earlier this week. And, and same for Emily Thornbury was on Radio 4 this morning, and she was kind of taking a similar line, although maybe a bit more hesitant in tone. But I think none of them can actually diverge much from the Corbynite foreign policy that's been established in the Labour Party. Kevin, do you, do you think Jeremy Corbyn feels um, in some ways uh, liberated mm. by, by defeat and that he can just be who he is now on foreign policy? Yeah, finally we can let Corbyn be Corbyn. You know, he, he doesn't have to worry about um, getting elected ever again. Um, so yeah, it was very much... It was, what struck me actually at PMQs yesterday, it was almost like a lot of the speeches that he used to make from the backbenches, you know, when he was he had absolutely no responsibility, he could say what he liked, he didn't bother about, about the Labour whip in those days. Uh, and in a way it was kind of refreshing, you know, he was there was no attempt to try and smooth the kind of rough Corbyn edges. And afterwards we got a post PMQ's briefing and his spokesman, you know, was similarly uh, unguarded, shall we say. I won't name him, everyone who's who follows this stuff knows who I'm talking about and you know it was very much this was an illegal act and what was really striking was when the the key quote from um, Boris Johnson Prime Minister's question yesterday was he said that Soleimani had the blood of British troops in his hands and when that was put to the spokesman yesterday he goes well what he was talking about there he said was the fact that um, uh, these were uh, attacks by paramilitary militias in Iraq on coalition forces and Jeremy has always said that they shouldn't be there so it was almost like he was saying, well, you know, if you weren't there in the first place, this type of thing wouldn't happen. Which, you know, before a general election, he could never have said that because it would just have been, you know, toxic. Whereas now, he doesn't have to worry about that. He's leaving in a couple of months so he can say what he likes. Um, Corbyn also mentioned the, um, the the prospects for a kind of post-Brexit trade deal. And it was a familiar theme he mm. touched on throughout the campaign, the idea that Boris Johnson can't really stand up to Donald Trump because we're going to need the United States more than ever after we leave the EU. Um, where do you think the um, special relationship has, has been left by, by this week? Has he got a point? I think he, I think he, he does have a point because the, the real politic of the situation is that, yeah, Britain needs America far more than America needs, needs Britain now, especially when, when we leave the European Union. And it's shown that all the power in this so-called special relationship is in the hands of, of the United States. You know, They don't need to bother telling us when they're about to um, take out 
an Iranian uh, military chief in, in such a provocative act. Um, so yeah, it, it showed that we are very much the junior partner in that relationship. Now, um, you've started off the new year with a fantastic array of listeners' questions. Thank you very much for sending those in. Um, I'm going to start with one for Sienna. This is from um, Nick Beale, who asks, um, what should a newly elected deputy leader of Labour seek to do during this parliament? I think uh, this is an interesting question for Labour members to consider, actually, in this election, because the interesting thing about 2015 is that a lot of members who also voted for Corbyn, voted for Tom Watson, because they thought he was, you know, a campaigning backbencher, had a good record on, on these things and attacking the Murdoch press and all this sort of thing that they liked. They didn't realise that it would turn out that he would be <laughs> undermining Jeremy Corbyn and briefing against him and, and then speaking openly against him. Um, so they elected him on that basis and, and they couldn't get rid of him once they'd elected him. So I think they're going to think quite carefully this time round and they'll want someone who will be a loyalist, actually. And I think Labour's deputy leader will, well, if it, of course, if it's Angela Rayner, she'll be wanting to unite the PLP and help with that, but also sort out Labour's approach to campaigning. I mean, I think a bit similar maybe working with the role of, uh, you know, party chair, basically just sorting out the fact that we've got to be targeting the right seats um, and that the organisers situation needed to be sorted out because a lot of MPs are actually very critical of, of the community organisers who were introduced and were very expensive. So that sort of thing, I think, is what they'll be focusing on. Is it essentially a job you can make of it what you will as, as deputy leader? Yeah, definitely. I think it's been defined in all sorts of ways over the years. I think some people are quite sceptical about the whole role and, you know, obviously John Landsman moved for it to be abolished and I think quite a few people on the left of the Labour Party actually agree with that because they don't quite see the point of it. But, yeah, I think it's definitely what you make of it. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing about the deputy leader this time, I think it would be very different from the way that Tom Watson did it. I mean, Tom Watson, I think, saw himself as the sort of conscience of the PLP um, and was constantly at war with the leader's office. So it's going to be very different, regardless, I think, of who becomes deputy and who becomes leader. There's not going to be that same tension. It'd be impossible for there to be the same amount of tension. So yeah. Are you saying Ian Murray's not going to win then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got to watch. I'm, I'm interviewing him later. But um, really? yeah, I think uh, working on the assumption that it's Angela Rayner, uh, I don't think there's going to be that same level of. I think even Ian would be more um, emollient. Well, certainly, than if Tom it's Watson. Keir Starmer who gets the leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think it's just it's. It's what you make of it. It's very similar, I think, to being Vice President of the United States. You know, it's a, it sounds like a grand title, and it is, but, you know, you're kind of left to make, make of it what you will. It comes with a shadow cabinet job as well, does it not? You know, get sitting in shadow cabinet, or do you have to get, because Tom Watson's shadow Yeah, because he culture. also had a, a shadow Do you have to get role? a job? I don't imagine Angela no, Rayner probably would get a job, though, wouldn't she? She will, yeah. yeah. Whoever gets it will get a shadow cabinet job. So, uh, so yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice job to have as well because, as Sienna says, it comes, you know, a nice title. It seems quite powerful, but you don't have the same responsibility, obviously, as the, as the uh, party leader does. Sienna, another Labour question for you from um, Rhys Hayes, who asks. Actually, got a couple here. A rough estimate on how many candidates will actually make it to the point where members can vote for them, and who seems certain to make it but doesn't really have a chance both deputy and deputy leader. It's quite a tough one. I was going to get up the list, but anyway, sure. <laughs> I'll try and do it from memory. Um, right, Rebecca Long-Bailey and Keir Starmer are going to fly through this round and probably in the next round as well. And actually both of them could well get through on both the CLP local party path and the affiliate path. So they could pass it all with flying colours, I think. 
Um, I think Emily Thornbury and Clive Lewis are the ones who are going to struggle the most at the moment in terms of PLP nominations. Emily Thornbury was clearly uh, pitching to Labour MPs by talking about um, the leader's office staffing and, and disciplinary issues and that sort of thing. But I, I just don't think she's going to get anywhere. I think Starmer has cooped up, uh, scooped up all the nominations that she could have potentially gotten. Um, then there's Lisa Nandy. Now, she's the most interesting one, I think, in terms of the next two stages. I think she will get the MP nominations. They're quite confident that she will. But the next stage is trickier if she doesn't get a big union and doesn't have the kind of anti-Brexit ground operation that some of the others have. So basically, I think four are going to get it th through to the next stage because Jess Phillips will definitely do so as well. But then the CLP or affiliate one could now knock out one or two. And Rhys has got another question. He asks, um, are we expecting much more polling for this contest? Well, I'm very excited about this question okay. because uh, Labour List is collaborating with Servation and we're going to be doing some polling throughout the leadership contest, which yeah. I think will be the most accurate polling, I would say. So oh. look out for that. So that'll be polling of Labour members, obviously. Yeah. yeah great. Yeah, because Servation are good. You know, they're, they're generally pretty accurate. So that'll be... Oh, good. When, when's the first one? Well, we put the survey out yesterday unfortunately didn't include Barry. I was so annoyed about that. <laughs> Literally half an hour later, Barry, the Barry story came out. But um, yeah, so next few days, there should be some story about that. Excellent. Absolutely okay, one to that. watch then. Um, final question from regular listener Alex Lawson, who asks both of you, uh, were you or are you weird or enough of a misfit to work for <laughs> Dominic Cummings? Hashtag Yuri Geller. <laughs> Well, yeah, as people probably know, but if they don't, uh, Dominic Cummings put up this blog over Christmas and New Year calling out for weirdos and misfits to apply to work in number 10, essentially, which I thought he might as well just have pinned it to the notice board in the lobby, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, every one, of us, every one of us, we get absolutely sailed through that uh, that, that interview process, uh, probably just walk, walk into the room, take, take one look at us, and they'll realise that, yep, yeah, you're the weirdo for the job. Um, am I one of a weirdo or a misfit? Probably... In lots of ways, yes, but I don't think I'd want to do it. No. Regardless of who the party is, I've seen what it does. I've seen what working in Downing Street does to people, and I don't want that to happen to me. Every day is dressed down Friday, though, with Dom, so. <laughs> He dresses you like can a, come in in your trackies. He like a tramp, doesn't he? Yeah. It's ridiculous. That one last week with his arse hanging out his jeans. I mean, <laughs> it just looked so contrived, doesn't it? Well, that's thing. the thing, I think, about this blog post as well. It's all so contrived. It's all this whole posturing of being, oh, we're so anti-establishment now, the Tories, not like you know it. But he doesn't really want a weirdo misfit that I would consider someone to be that. I mean, he, he wants a nerd, is really what he's saying. He wants someone who knows all these coding languages and stuff like that. My boyfriend that's probably get that job. I, I don't know how to code, so no. <laughs> you, you haven't really answered the crucial question of whether you're a weirdo or a misfit. Though, yeah, so probably you. both of those things, just not the kind of one that Don would like. There we go, there we go. Well, that is all we've got time for again on the Politics Home podcast. If you're not already reading Labour List, make sure you do. Um, Tiana does a fantastic morning email, which is second only to the breakfast briefing. You can <laughs> sign up to that by going to politicshome.com slash register and you'll get all the news from us seven days a week. Thank you very much to Kevin and Sienna for joining me. So here's a incredibly seamless link.